0: In this episode I feature Kimberly Gant. She received her Ph.D. in art history from the University of Texas, Austin and holds both a MA and BA in art history from Columbia University. She is the Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art at the Brooklyn Museum. Kimberly was previously the McKinnon Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art at the Chrysler Museum in Virginia and she has also worked as a Mellon doctoral fellow at the Newark Museum and director of exhibitions at the Museum of Contemporary African Diasporan Art. Kimberly has curated numerous exhibitions and gallery installations, including Black Orpheus, Jacob Lawrence and Umbari Club in 2022, Journeys Across the Border, US and Mexico 2021-22, Brendan Fernandez, Bodily Forms in 2020, to name a few. She has published scholarly work and academic books and exhibition catalogs for the Newark Museum, the Contemporary Austin, the Student Museum of Harlem, Mokata, Paris Photo, and the Center for Contemporary Art, Lagos. Enjoy this episode featuring art historian and curator Kimberly Gant. Kimberly, welcome to my podcast. I'm delighted to to feature you so you can share us insights into your career and also the the museum world. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled to be talking to you today. When did you first discover your interest in the visual arts? So I consciously recognized it when I was an undergraduate, when I was a freshman because I was taken to art shows, museum shows, craft shows, galleries. But my parents, as a kid, my sister and I both, and I hated every minute of it. But as I got older, I think that all of that art, not only being around it, my parents are collectors. So I grew up seeing images of Black people, of Black life, of abstraction, of figuration. I had artistic people in my family, though I didn't really know it growing up. I found this out later when I was an adult. So it was all around me, but I didn't have an actual Interest, I think, in it. Though, you know, I did the things that kid did. I did pottery classes and, you know, fiction writing and things like that. But I remember my freshman year roommate said she was going to travel to Argentina for her study abroad and she was going to be an art history major. And I kind of heard about art history. I knew it was a thing, I knew it was an area of study, but I didn't really know what that meant. But I did really love history. That was a subject that I always found just very interesting. When I took a course, I think it was my sophomore year, maybe it was a medieval Mediterranean history class. (laughs) And we utilized a lot of art in the class. And I think it was during that class that things started to click that I said, oh, well, I like history. I like understanding how we got to where we are. I like understanding the world around us. And I'm starting to understand that art is a reflection of that is influenced by that. We we are motivated to create because of the environments and the society in which we live in. So then I kind of decided to take an art history class and I was hooked. I thought I was going to double major in English and chemistry and write the world's first interesting chemistry book. I started to take a chemistry class and it was like a six-hour lab and I said, this is not fun. We're not doing this, even though I loved it in high school. So I, I started taking the classes and uh, much to my parents' shock and I think slight horror, I remember I, I told my dad I was going to be an art history major and he looked at me and said, what? What are you talking about? What is, What does this mean? What, what is an art historian? What are you going to do with this? Can you get a job? And he was like, you hated art growing up. I was like, no, I didn't hate it. I just didn't want to go when, you know, I was 10, 8, whatever. Now I'm like, it's really cool. <laughs> and I think like a lot of parents, I think especially parents of color, you know, my dad said, well, we didn't, we didn't take you to those places and in, introduce you to artists and and moments like this to be an artist. Like you can't draw, which is very true. I, I can barely draw a stick figure. And he said, well, you know, we didn't take you to those places to be an artist or to work in the arts, you do it so that you're a well rounded individual that you could have art in your home that you could be a, a you know a connoisseur appreciator of art that you were you know a full human being but you don't work in the field which I thought was really funny but I said well let me try can I can I still just try and that just as a sidebar has been a phrase that as I've gotten older I've realized has become a little bit of a mantra for me throughout my career and my life and the fact that I have very supportive parents. So to kind of get my dad off my back, I did minor in economics. So I, I was able to have some sort of business, uh, side business acumen that was able to offset the uh, the very liberal art degree that I got, but I was able to get jobs in it. And you know, I've worked in other fields. I've worked in marketing and advertising until I was able to actually find a job fully in the arts. But yeah, and so since since then, since I started working in the arts, I, I continued doing it, even if I had to find creative ways to make that career happen.
0: Do you recall what inspired you to choose that medieval, that first course? I mean, of all the courses in the curriculum, why did you choose that one?
1: I know, I think part of it was I thought the name was really cool, I just was intrigued. I was like medieval Mediterranean history. Like, what is that? How was that a moment in time? So it go, you know, goes to show you sometimes unexpected, you know, serendipity uh, works out in your favor, but it was, um, I think, you know, you're looking through the course catalog and you're trying to find electives and, and that class looked, it just looked interesting. I think it really goes to also show how The way in which we're taught, I think, and oftentimes, you know, the public school system, it can be so standardized and traditional that you want to understand a bit more. You want to be exposed to moments in the past that you didn't even know existed or could be framed in that way. So yeah, so I think that was just, I just remember just being going, what does that even mean? and decided well take the class if i don't like the first couple classes i'll drop it and find something else was there a professor that really impacted you so the so it's really funny so the professor i remember his name was professor wolf i don't remember his first name but we jokingly called him professor jesus because he was this incredibly tall kind of lanky guy longish brown hair with a ponytail, mustache goatee situation, bright blue eyes. He had this very soft spoken voice when he talked. And you just look at him and you just go, am I taking a class with Jesus? What? Not seriously, but he was that kind of that image that you were brought up with that kind of stereotypical images from like the 60s and the 50s of that beloved, you know, white male figure. And so it just was really funny. But he was a great professor and i think reminded me of how history culture society and objects whether it's related to religion or not can all work together in these very complex and nuanced ways and it just it just stayed with me it just made me want to continue it it sparked that curiosity of what else and what else and what else? And um, it just, I don't remember exactly how it made me think of, you know, we're doing art history. Maybe it was also because of my former roommate and that's when I decided I just, you know, I took a general class and I said, Oh, and I think a lot of things also resonated with me because of my, of my upbringing and, and seeing things that I, I recognize. I was like, Oh, I've seen, like, I've gotten to travel with my parents. Like I've seen that painting. Wow. You know, now I can think about how lucky and privileged I was to have parents who exposed me to so much arts and culture from a very young age, especially as, you know, a young Black girl. And, you know, I had my first passport when I was 13.
0: So many people don't get that. And what do you enjoy most about being an art historian in a curatorial role?
1: I think I love the fact that I can have a lot of right and left brain conversations. What I mean by that is, I like to think I'm a creative person, maybe not in the art of making, but in the art of thinking, and thinking about and recognizing art that is impactful, that is not only just visually stimulating, but also has a commentary that is very powerful. So that's the creative side. And I think that's the art historian side like that, that that curiosity of just what does this mean? How did how did the person make it? How does it work together? What is it saying? How are they saying it? And then on the other side of my brain, I don't know if I forget if left or right is the creative and the practical, but on the practical side of my brain, then thinking about the business of art. And so I think people don't realize that a lot of your role as a curator, in addition to trying to kind of really conceptualize and present these very nuanced ideas through objects and trying to understand the artist in the moment in time, et cetera, et cetera. You're also just thinking about the practicalities of putting a show together, of doing the labels, of how are you going to install it, of funding it, of programming. I mean, though curators become the very front-facing side of museums, no exhibition is made without many other people from many other perspectives throughout your institution coming together to work for months if not years putting a project together and you really have to have a good team so i think that's what really excites me about it of uh, you know again i get to meet i work with living artists not all i get to talk to artists i get to hear i just get to kind of be inspired and have these all these little quick or not even quick moments, but continuous and unexpected moments of just awe and again curiosity. You know, I think you can very easily start to realize when you're getting into the same routine with your job. And so as a curator, I get the the great luxury and privilege of being able to meet new people and get re-inspired, get re-excited about what I do or just what the possibilities are.
0: What advice would you give young people contemplating a career as a curator?
1: Ah, That fun question. I think there's a few things. So I think we're in a great moment where to be a curator, you do not have to go the traditional path that I took. So I have a BA, a, a terminal master's and a PhD. All three degrees are in art history. And people definitely still do that. And that is very much a more traditional path, as I said, to go through. But now that there's a lot of other opportunities, I think, and in, in kind of programs within university where you, know, you can maybe have been trained as a studio person, maybe you were a maker first and then decided you wanted to switch into art history. I know several curators who have done that and and I think continue to do that. I think there's also programs, there's museum studies, there's curatorial programs. Some of the other, there's arts administration. Some of the other programs I get a little concerned with, I worry that they can either become a little too general, a little too specialized. But I think a big aspect of it is exposure. I think people don't really know that the museum world, the different departments and opportunities in museums exist. I also think that being very self motivated in the sense of it always helps to have I think like with anything a good mentor a, an advocate a supporter. I got a job in in a in a small museum here in New York my first kind of museum job at the Museum of Contemporary African Diasporan Arts, which was founded by Lori Kumbo, who is now the Commissioner of Arts in New York City. So I'm super super proud of her and all that she's accomplished and I think she was a big advocate and supporter of me throughout my career and I've also worked with a lot of other curators who I respected and I went and saw a lot of art and I would try and find out who those curators were and as a you know 20 something just out of undergrad I was cold emailing them just saying you know, hello, I'm introducing myself, I went to school, I have an art history degree, I'm interested in working in museums. And this is even before I actually got the job at Mokata. I was working in a marketing company at the time, but I didn't enjoy it. And I wanted to get back into art. And I just started asking them if I could meet for coffee and talk about opportunities at their institutions or what they were thinking about when they were curating shows. So it really felt like I was still... Researching again, and I, but I was researching for a professional opportunity. I'd also by that time had worked in you know the corporate world, so I also was exposed to how bigger companies administratively organized, and I really wanted to continue that. Again, that left and right brain. So you know, when I finally had a meeting with someone, when I had a meeting with Lori, and it took six you know took six months of, of emails to get it together. I made sure that I had, you know, my resume and cover letter there ready to go. So I didn't want to waste her time. Even if nothing came of it, I wanted her to see me as a professional and that I was going to bring something. I was going to be additive to her knowing me and to having this coffee with me. So I think some of the things to do is to also look at opportunities that not everyone are examining. You know, I also really loved that I worked at a small museum. I've tended to, in my career, before joining the Brooklyn Museum at the beginning of this year, I'd always really worked at small, you know, mid-sized museums and got incredible training there because the smaller institutions often really need a lot of assistance. And so you can oftentimes get to work on more extensive projects or really put your hand on something from, you know, initiation to completion that you may not get to in a, you know, in a, in a bigger institution where they have a very, maybe more standardized like internship program.
0: Can we talk about those opportunities within museums
1: and the larger museums? Definitely. So I'm a curator, but I think people really forget that a museum is a corporation. It has a different tax status, but there's so many opportunities within one. So some of the different departments that are at the Brooklyn Museum, for example, you know, we've got the the curatorial department, there's education, which includes public programs, K through 12 programming, you know, independent contractors, there's visitor services, which is, you know, the front facing with the public, you know, making sure people are getting questions answered and can go into the museums. Obviously, there's security and and facilities you know maintaining the institution as a whole and and safeguarding it conservation there are conservators who are really bring together art and science to conserve and, and preserve and really protect these objects for the benefit of the public uh, for their viewing pleasure into perpetuity there's we have lawyers who have to work um finance we have digital engagement, graphic design, exhibition design, publications, editorial. I mean, the, you know, that's all I can think of off the top of my head. And I'm sure I, hopefully I'm not. Oh, oh, communications, marketing. I mean, there's so many different opportunities. So your experiences can really translate. Even if you don't necessarily have a background in art, you have a background in experiences that can be applicable into a museum setting as they could into, you know, a corporate setting or or not. And so part of it is exposing yourself, I think, and museums, I think, also doing a better job of just talking about all the different areas of a museum that a person could potentially
0: work in. And what type of relationship do you like to have with the artists?
1: You want to have a relationship that is going to last. You know, again, an exhibition from initial conception to when it's up to the viewer can take years. So you need to have a relationship that's going to last waves. You know, not everything is going to go perfectly. There's going to be, you know, challenges and and things that you're going to have to deal with. But ultimately, you want to have a relationship that's going to be good. And that you all feel is beneficial at the end of the day, that you're happy with. And ideally, obviously, I'd love to be friends with the artist. Like, I, you know, I, artists that I have worked with for years, we're still in contact. I'd work with them again. It just really depends on what you're doing together. But you, you know, you want it to be one that will be beyond that project, ideally.
0: What do you feel is the purpose
1: of art and what is the artist's role? I'll start with the first part of that question. I think the role of art is to get us to see the world from another point of view. That probably sounds cliche, but I think we all engage with our environment in different ways. You know, I I have a hard time remembering people's names, but I remember their faces. You know, whether that's a reflection of the fact that (laughs) I, you know, I'm looking at people, I, I focus on so much of seeing things, But I think that art can just give you a different way of understanding the world around you. And again, it's usually through a person or person's perspective, but at least it gives you an alternate. You're not just completely subsumed in one frame of reference or one way of thinking. Whether or not you agree with it is a different story altogether. I don't think you have to agree with what someone is putting out there. But you at least have to, A, respect that they did it, that they spent the time and energy to put forth something that can be very vulnerable, you know, whether you're it's visual, whether it's writing, whether it's dance, you know, all of those are art forms. And it it is very scary, I think, to place yourself in front of others, to be judged, to be critiqued and say, this is what I see and what I want to offer. So take this and do with it what you will. And we need to really respect how both, again, awe-inspiring, but terrifying that can be uh, offer for anyone. And, and again, just you don't have to agree with it, but respect the maker, respect the person that did it and the people that participated in it and who put it out there. What was the second part of the question again?
0: What do you feel is the role of the artist?
1: I think the same thing. It's putting a point of view, a perspective out in the world. And I think it's also reminding us all making, creating is not a luxury. It is a critical part of life. In whatever way you are creative, in whatever way you understand and see, it is valid. And it is important and it is incredibly worthwhile. So, you know, when I see art programs being cut, I think it is just as important as any other educational subject because it's an outlet. It's it's a way to move us forward as, as a species, as a society. And it's not any less important. It's just another tool in the arsenal of thinking and experimenting and trying. So, yeah, I think the role of the artist is to remind us that creativity is important and is not just important, it is critical, it is necessary. And I think the pandemic, hopefully, though I do not wish it, you know, on anyone or anything, I think that reminded us a bit because... We didn't have those outlets that we took for granted and we need to remind our, we need to kind of continue to support those, you know, actors, singers, dancers, visual artists, writers, you know, we, we need all of that. It helps sustain us and, um, and move
0: us, move us forward. Can you comment on the role of the museum trustee and how they can help bring about change?
1: So I think the role of the museum trustee is a complicated one. I think that museum trustees should support the missions and goals of the museum that they are a trustee of. of. But I also think that doesn't mean that they should just accept everything. They do need to question. They need to kind of know what's going on. And because of the fact that it has become obviously very that we already knew, but it's being more highlighted in popular culture that, you know, museums are not neutral entities. Their collections aren't neutral. The, the, you know, how they've developed are not neutral. And I take that phrase from um, Latanya Autry and Mike Mirosky, who kind of really spearheaded and founded that phrase and the movement behind it. But I think that museum trustees, Are really senior leadership roles. And so they can affect a lot of change in the sense of having the listening ear of senior management and knowing what's going on, knowing what some of the issues are that are happening in the museum, and really advocating, you know, on on behalf of those who may feel that they are not in a position to be able to really advocate for themselves. So I think, you know, as as you do in, in, in listening to those of us who are on your podcasts, I think trustees can listen and observe and question and support. And that doesn't mean that, you know, these things aren't both be complementary and they can be sometimes a bit in conflict, but they ultimately hopefully help a museum to move forward, adapt, change and be supportive of the people that work there and the audiences that come. So I think that's the role of the the museum trustee. Support, observe, question, listen. What are you excited about right now? Well, I'll say a couple things. I'll say first that what excites me is the fact that I feel that there is change. Like The conversations are happening, and they're happening throughout the entire institution from senior management to everyone. And so that's great, because while I always believe in support, when there's like a DEA staff person, I always get very nervous that there becomes this one person who is expected to enact all of this quote, unquote, change. And that's impossible for any one person, you know, you have to have buy in and support throughout the entire institution, all levels to really actually make change happen institutionally and holistically. So I'm glad the conversations are are being had. I'm glad that I'm seeing people of color come to museums and have an interest in what's happening at their museums. You know, I think the Brooklyn Museum is a, is a place that has been very involved with the local communities for obviously much longer than I've been there. But even when I didn't work there, and this was years ago when I first lived in New York, the Brooklyn Museum was always the super cool place. Like, you you know, the community came out, you dressed up, you pre-partied, you know, you were cultural, you were pre-partied and you like went to the club. Um, and I thought it was really funny, but I thought it was really great. And I think obviously we bring in great artists and do great shows. And I'm loving seeing more artists of color having big projects, having the recognition that they should have had decades ago. I mean, it's happening at the same time. I do have some concerns and my concerns stem from the fact that I feel the art world in general tends to work in cycles or in waves and that we're on a crest of real strong interests in African-American, African, African diaspora artists. Great. However, when is that wave crest going to crash is it going to crash and is there going to be the new wave after that so i feel like you've seen that with you know latinx art you know asian arts there tends to be this repeating of ethnic groups you know sadly or you know women you know gender with women and and we get very popular and so everyone's like we got to have these shows we got to have these exhibitions these collections and it da And for a minute, you know, there's, and I mean that, you know, metaphorically, um, for a while, there's a lot of things happening. But then I think ultimately, people want to move elsewhere. And so, you know, things can always shift and change. But what you want is change where it's not a trend. You want it to be something that is going to continuously occur. And so that they were, so there will always be a consideration of, okay, who are we, who, what, who are the artists that we're exhibiting? Where are they from? What are they saying? What is the type of work they're doing? And so that you're really trying to at least give a nod to the world of art, not just a skewed perspective. And every institution is going to be skewed in some way but at least let's try and be a bit more comprehensive in our ske- in our skewing which sounds con- you know contradictory so i just want to make sure that the change lasts and doesn't just become a footnote in the history of art where we're like oh there was this moment where this was really popular this was really happening but i feel like right now we're still in a good place and i think What what I hope is that with my colleagues, both in my current institution and those in my colleagues just in the field, we see what's going on. And we're always, I think, trying to keep this momentum moving forward, like not letting it die down. So that's my hope that that continues.
0: So this is our final
1: question. How do you want to impact the art world? I want to create impactful shows of impactful artists in that people are starting to, I want the names of the artists of the shows that I do to be able to be thought of off top of mind as the artists that tend to be remembered because their names get repeated and repeated and repeated with shows and books and things like that. I want to add to what my predecessor's in the field have been doing in terms of expanding our knowledge of the history of art, expanding through telling the stories that have been ignored or forgotten or just now are being known. And I want to kind of also, I want to make the art world a place that is not only seen again as a luxury, that I want art to be seen as necessary and critical, as mathematics, as reading, because it all it all feeds into each other. You know, as I said, I, I think I, and I credit my parents again that I have a very left and right brain thinking. So, I think all of us do in many ways, but they don't. They think they need to be one or the other, and I don't think that's the case. We're all really complex individuals you know if you want to go into accounting but you also have a passion for creative writing why can't you do both you know why can't you um see the value in both even if one maybe your is more what you're making your traditional kind of money with and and another is because you also en- you know you enjoy it and it it's an outlet for you so i just want us to try <laughs> I think I want that. That I want that mantra to be for everyone. Just like, just try. You know, it's okay if it doesn't work out, as long as you, you know, have planned it. Maybe you plan it out so that you've got not necessarily backup, or you've got a a support system, or you've got a safety net for yourself. But I've been very privileged and honored to be able to go. Well, I'm just going to try it and know that if it doesn't work out, at least I said I did it and. I can go do something else, um, or I can try something else. So I don't want that to come off as as being very flippant, because I know we live in a in a very stratified world where that's much easier said than done. But maybe you can try things in smaller ways. Like it doesn't have to be like your job, but you're just trying something personally to see if you enjoy it. And I think that that's just important, really, to do.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for your time and your perspective. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks Podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.